Cause it's a pain A destiny child You know it will be rocking Cause it's flipping insane It's just a pain A destiny child More precious than a diamond On a platinum chain In Venice Beach there was a man named Cage In the suburbs I I learned to pick Uh Hey there This is the pick the the podcast where we pick a movie and then we talk about it no questions asked this, i mean that hasn't really been the deal lately we've kind of had preordained picks but uh we'll get into that uh first off i'm colin westman i'm joined by john otney and sean lemmy uh so yeah we're reviewing some newer movie releases in october quite get to do as many as we wanted to because of i don't know maybe my my traveling and it's just lack of interest in reviewing like halloween kills and doing an entire no time to die podcast uh, but we did do dune and we did do the many saints of newark and in november we are also being less spontaneous because we are doing Thanksgiving. Which means this month we are doing three, maybe four Tom Hanks movies because uh, we just love them. And, uh, you know, we love a, a good month-based pun. Uh, so we're doing The Burbs today. We're also doing The Green Mile and something else. Cloud Atlas! Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> Alright. And then maybe we'll review Finch. We'll see. Yeah. Maybe. This was the easy one. Uh, we got to see how we feel after watching two three-hour movies. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> do you guys think after Thanksgiving we should do December? <laughs> oh no what do you, what's your i mean so the idea was we were each going to cover one of our like big tom hanks blind spots so i'm I'm curious what are you thinking is your johnny depp blind spot probably from hell from hell i don't even remember what that is he's like gotta catch jack the ripper it's by the guys those brothers who made book of eli the hughes brothers and it's based off an Alan Moore graphic novel. I don't actually want to do December, by the way. That's just <laughs> that's just my blind spot. I think that's the one that comes to mind. What about you? You guys have a, what do you think is your biggest Johnny Depp blind spot? Um. Well, I guess like he's known for Twenty One Jump Street, and I don't know anything about that show, so I guess technically it would be that. You could pick a uh, pilot. Um. I never saw. The most recent Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Um, I never saw Sherlock Gnomes. <laughs> he, he was Sherlock Gnomes. That's right. <laughs> what about you, Colin? Mordecai? Oh, yes, Mordecai. What's he up to? <laughs> if you He's make me watch Mordecai for a second time, I will kill you guys <laughs> and end this podcast. Fuck. I forgot that you watched... Did you watch it for one of your... Uh, like end of and at the end of Shocktober, you do your horrible. Yeah, that was the end of the decade horrible. because so, that was my guess for what the most horrible movie of the whole decade was. <laughs> it was Mordecai. Wow. 
Must have really sucked. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Well, maybe we'll get to find out next month. How bad it really is. <laughs> or maybe it's go gotten, to, maybe maybe it's just good go, now. Just go to mileypleased.com and look up <laughs> Mordecai. Is that a one star or a half star? What do you think? <sighs> it's a I David Kep movie, so I would I imagine there's gotta be some star. there's gotta be some level of competence there somewhere. Man, that would have been great if you wrote today's movie. It would have been an excellent segue. <laughs> I guess we got to do our little picks anyway. Yeah. Before we get into the burbs, uh, let's do our little picks. Um, my little pick is a book I finished a while ago, but we, we just kept not doing little picks for a while. Um, it's called Larger Than Life, A History of Boy Bands from New Kids on the Block to BTS. It's written by Maria Sherman. Uh, I feel like in kind of the opening of the book, she said basically she's been like a professional music writer for a long time, but was like a kind of closeted boy band fan and wanted to write a book about boy bands that was at an adult reading level. <laughs> basically and so <laughs> this is like you know an actual well well written like uh, i guess primer if, if you're not familiar with boy bands like i think it maybe isn't as suited for someone who like knows a, a, a lot about all the specific boy bands of different eras but for someone like me who only has like kind of a passing knowledge of you know of like one direction uh and the jonas brothers like this is this is right up my alley because a lot of this stuff i i don't know as well i kind of knew the backstreet boys and nsync because my sister was into them but um it's just like a very light fun informative read and it kind of gets into like it's a, there being like a little bit of a bias towards these bands because of you know snooty rock writers who don't give as much credence to the tastes of teenage girls even though as we see with like the the proto boy band the beatles you know they eventually would be like lauded as the greatest band ever so you know the the this music isn't always to be taken for granted i liked um it also gets into like a lot of like weird period details um in regards to, to some of these artists, like something I totally forgot about before reading this book was the existence of hit clips. Do you guys remember those? I do. It's like a a tiny little, like cartridge, kind of like the size of uh, like a Nintendo switch (laughs) game that you would stick into a tiny thing that kind of looks like a CD player. And then it would play like a one minute low quality clip of a a pop song uh, oh yeah yeah people actually had those i, I guess that was just for, like a thing in commercials i mean <laughs> they, they were sold to people i don't think i knew anyone who had them but um yeah so just like lots of fun stuff like that kind of built a, around like the, the fandom in addition to like the the backstage goings on of these boy bands obviously like there's some talk about Lou Pearlman who was uh, 
you know, the mastermind between the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, who also screwed them out of a ton of money and uh, all that good stuff. But uh, And it's also, like, kind of an in-between, like, a, a thorough... <laughs> Uh, deep dive of this genre and almost kind of a graphic novel too because there's lots of lots of art throughout that's kind of similar to that genre as well so yeah larger than life well see now you just got me thinking about the tiger electronics company and all the weird handhelds they put out during my youth i wonder if they're even still around maybe they just make like apps for phones now yeah, they probably got built or bought out by uh, Hasbro. <laughs> like, it seems like every toy or game company did eventually. Just ends up being Hasbro. Or Bandai. You got me thinking about that Bill Murray movie, Larger Than Life. For a minute, I thought you were talking about the novelization or like <laughs> something related to that movie. Bill Murray and an elephant. I was reading about it, and, and the plot is Bill Murray inherits an elephant. <laughs> yeah. And I guess they gotta like, they gotta like go on the road. According See, to the I, tagline, I feel like that movie also kind of came out close to Operation Dumbo Drop. Which was oh like yeah, the absolutely, absolutely. Movie about a one of those elephant. like a like a Tombstone, Wyatt Earp, or like um, a Deep Capote, Impact, Infamous. Yeah, it's one of those. Uh, I remember this one has Matthew McConaughey because I haven't seen the movie, but I saw the trailer, and in the trailer they're like, Matthew McConaughey is funnier than Jim Carrey. <laughs> Weird blurb. <laughs> He's got five days to go coast to coast. There's just one big problem. <laughs> yeah, as an elephant. <laughs> every every poster for Larger Than Life is amazing. They're all good. There's one where the elephant's like picking him up. Like not with his trunk, like with his elephant hand. There's one where they're both like sitting on some like luggage and the elephant is way too big for it. Tell me more about his elephant hand. I mean, it's just like... Here, I'm going to send you a very low-res image. I mean, I'm I'm looking at... It's like he's just like holding it out like you would... Like if you're holding your hand out to see if it was raining or not, like it's just outstretched a little bit. Oh, okay. So he's just like resting on his leg. It's he's, not. He's, he doesn't like, have like elephant fingers. No. Just every version of this poster, they knocked it out of the park. Why is there so many different? It, it, it just sounds like like that one in the middle where he's on his elephant hand. That just seems like one that, like, a Photoshop guy's like, I'm gonna have some fun. Do you see this one where he's singing into the elephant's trunk like it's a microphone? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that seems like it was Bill's idea. Yeah. Doesn't it? He's just riffing at the... He's the live singer guy. (laughs) At the photo session. He was at the absolute apex of his career. In In 1996. 1996, Space Jam, Kingpin, and Larger Than Life all came out. No. Ugh, this is definitely a Bill Murray blind spot. We're gonna have to do this in May for Bill Mermay. <laughs> <laughs> you just imagine somebody telling somebody, "Oh, we're doing Mermay on our podcast." And they're like, "What? What are you talking about?" Sorry, I can't hang out today, guys. I gotta <laughs> tend to Mermay. <laughs> 
<sighs> Finally watched this and Razor's Edge. Yeah. Other Bill Murray classics. Rock the Casbah, perhaps. Mad Dog and Glory. Wow. I would be interested in watching all of these, though. Bill Murray is an interesting guy. Except, uh, apparently he's not interesting in Aloha. And he was not interesting in when I watched A Glimpse Inside the Mind of Charles Swan III. He seemed really checked out. It really seemed like he was just doing a favor. To, I guess in this case, to Wes Anderson's friend, Roman Coppola. Oh, so Little Pick. Yeah, um, I'll go. I'll be quick. Uh, my Little Pick is going to be Joe Para because he's back. Joe Para talks to you. The Adult mm-hmm. Swim show. Uh, I just watched the first two new episodes. Uh, they premiered yesterday. And I, I, I love that show. Uh, if you've never seen it, uh, Joe Perra is kind of like a Mr. Rogers, Garrison, Keeler type figure. And he is, uh, does a show set in Michigan where he teaches you things and talks to you about stuff that he's interested in. The two episodes... That were part of the premiere the other day where um, him and his friend go to like a chair store and they talk about the different kinds of chairs. And then the other one was him showing you how to build a fire and hanging out in the woods. Just very, you know, simple, relaxing, 12 minutes long. I don't think it's for everybody, but I like it. I like to watch it early in the morning if I can. Um, I guess that's technically when it's on. Yeah, I don't actually know when it's actually, like, when it airs. Like, you know how Adult Swim is. It's probably, like, one thirty a.m. or something. Mm-hmm. Or it's probably more like 11.30 or 11. But the I know the past seasons are on Hulu and HBO Max. So I would highly recommend, um, if you ever if you haven't seen the show or if you're interested in getting into the show, uh, watch the episode where Joe Para goes to the grocery store and just talks to you about groceries. Very funny. It's basically like what people talk about Ted Lasso being, except it's it's what actually Joe Para talks with you is. <laughs> it's just like very wholesome, comforting entertainment. Yeah, could be and like it's got Joe Firestone, who's also a podcaster. She's great. It's got Connor O'Malley, who I like. He pops up on. I think you should leave sometimes. Also, Mark Borchart from American Movie has been in a couple episodes because he lives around where they film it. They kind of film it around Michigan and and I think partly in Milwaukee where he where he lives. So that's fun if you're a fan of that movie. Very folksy. I wish Adult Swim had more shows like that. Oh, Connor O'Malley's the honk if you're horny guy. I I know yeah I know him best from that that. Pointer Brothers sketch. Yeah. Uh, he was one of those guys. On that, uh, Tim Robinson. The Characters? Was that what it was called? Yeah. Netflix I think he's also the married to A.D. Bryant, I believe. Ah. So. From Shrill. But he's, uh, he's like the co... He's on um, Joe Perra, but he's also like the co-creator. So he's a creative force on the show, too. Mm-hmm. Speaking of One Direction... I saw Marvel's new film, Eternals. Not the Eternals. Just like Eternals. Eagles, not the Eagles. <laughs> yeah, I also saw the Eagles. 
<laughs> you got me. Um, so it's uh, the third of four Marvel movies that are all coming out in uh, the second half of 2021, uh, which is annoying. Uh, hopefully they'll be better spaced out in the future, or they just won't do four plus Venom two. And is Morbius this year? I don't know. There's too many of these. <laughs> this year, no way. It's probably gotta be next year. There's no time. January. Well, basically this year. <laughs> <laughs> um. And uh, you, you guys know that this was my my most hyped uh, of, of the Marvel movies this year. Um, partly before we started hearing all the crazy details about what the Spider-Man movie is supposed to be next month. Um, but mostly because I was excited to, to see a very different kind of Marvel movie, uh, given that the Eternals are like deep jack kirby lore and uh sort of necessarily removed from everything else that's going on uh in the other movies um and also because it was directed by uh and written by uh chloe zhao uh, who uh, you know they just won uh the best director oscar for nomadland and uh and also had made the writer a few years ago uh so not uh, not a name that uh, would really uh, spring to mind when you uh, when you think of sci-fi fantasy epic, um, but she uh, seems to be a fan of the genre. Listening to her talk, um, you know she she cited a lot of influences that make sense for the movie she ended up making. She talks about. Uh, uh, being really interested in uh, Christopher Nolan movies, especially Inception and Interstellar, um, and Zack Snyder movies, uh, especially Man of Steel. Um, and, um, and the one thing those all have in common uh, is they're not Marvel movies. Um, they're uh, exposition-heavy uh, visuals, emphasize story light um, big cinematic events um, which is what she tried to make here but she tried to couple it with the origin story for 10 fucking superheroes <laughs> which is a lot of superheroes um, and I think that it just was it was too much uh, they, they couldn't strike a balance between trying to be an accessible action movie and trying to be a uh, you know 7,000 year long romance story and also just like an actually really hard sci-fi uh, concept like this movie takes a, a big turn uh, towards the end of the second act that um, it becomes this like crazy info dump I saw some other critics liken it to um remember in the tree of life when in the middle of the movie it's like hey we're just gonna go back to the dawn of time and then like work our way up to dinosaurs and, like just check out the main narrative for a while of course um, watch that dinosaur scene last week <laughs> really i was just like oh, there's dinosaurs what did that look like and i checked it out <laughs> i like it because it like 
in that movie, it's like showing the first act of compassion that ever happened on planet Earth because it's like a dinosaur choosing not to eat another dinosaur. Yeah. They look fine. It's it's kind of it reminds me a lot of the movie Dinosaur from two thousand. It's like that kind of where it's like real life backgrounds with CGI dinosaurs. Um. So I mean, this isn't as confusing as that, but uh, basically the idea here is that there are celestials. Um, which are these gigantic, like planet-sized space people? Um, we, we've we've met at least one of them before. Um, Kerr Russell's character from Guardians of the Galaxy uh, Two was was a celestial. So I guess also technically Peter Quill was part celestial, um, and um, they existed even before the Big Bang. Um, and what they do is they um, help protect uh the development of sentient life uh throughout the universe um by sending uh immortal warriors called eternals uh to to fight off the greatest uh apex predator in in the universe which are which are called deviants which are these weird sort of like uh squiggly monsters um that are all uh they take they take sort of shapes that you would associate with sort of mythological uh, creatures like uh, dragons or uh, stuff like that. Um, and so, seven thousand years ago, this team of ten uh, Eternals came to Earth, uh, you know, in like ancient Sumeria, and started killing the Deviants. And they've been uh, blended in with our history ever since. Uh, uh, sort of from scene to scene, it's it's not quite clear if they did nothing to uh, influence our history, or if they actually had a pretty strong uh, guiding hand on, on the course of events. Um, it's it's uh, it's kind of ambiguous, and um, kind of yeah, the movie kind of uh, switches between catching us up with what they've done for the past seven thousand years, and also telling us. A, uh, a contemporary story uh, where post uh, the Hulk bringing everyone back after Thanos took everyone away, um, the Deviants have started to uh, reappear on Earth. So the Eternals are trying to figure that out. And uh, it's got, you know, a, a huge, I would say, pretty good cast. Um, uh, you know, we were all excited about Camille Nanciani getting crazy ripped for this. And uh, it's cool to see Don Lee from Train to Busan, and um, some people from Game of Thrones are in this. And Selma Hayek's in it, and uh, Angelina Jolie's in it in a like weirdly small supporting role, uh, which I would have I would actually like to see a lot of more of her because she's pretty cool in this. It's like the stoic badass of the team, but it's it's just I think it's just it was too ambitious and too. Um, not Marvel-y a script, which then I think creates a like internal tonal problem with this movie. Um, that that they just couldn't make make work. I think I think it's gonna leave a lot of people feeling kind of bored watching it. Um. I, I would not call it the worst Marvel movie. I, I know it's getting that reputation because it's it slipped into uh, the rotten territory on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, in fact, I, I, th- I think I would 
defend people who are even arguing it's not even the worst Marvel movie to come out this year. Although I personally liked Black Widow more. I, I, I bet there's... For, for people who went into Black Widow and were just like, I'm tired of this. Um, I think <laughs> like me. they would like Eternals more. <laughs> I just watched Black Widow this week and I was pretty checked out for most of it. Yeah. Well, yeah. It sounds I mean, like it, this might have some interesting things that I haven't seen before it, in a Marvel does, movie. Well, for one, it has people who use superpowers all the time, mm-hmm. which actually isn't something I've been seeing a lot in Marvel. Like, Black Widow just beats people up. Yeah. Shang-Chi just beats people up for most of the movie. Um it's 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 interesting to see a, a group of characters that like never actually like land a punch on each other because they're always using their golden god powers on each other. Um, and then uh, yeah, it's, it it ends in a very like we're connecting this to the future of the, what Marvel movies are going to be, uh, uh, sort of thing, uh, which is awesome, and I it's it's kind of disappointing to get really excited about the movie finally as it's like done wrapping up and it's now setting up the cliffhangers for the future, like way too late in the game for it to get really cool. Um, but also kind of a movie you'd want to see on the big screen. Cause I feel like the best thing it has going for it are the, the grandeur of the, the imagery on display. Um, you know, Kevin Feige got out way in advance talking about um, how cool the movie looked because Chloe Zhao was, was shooting like real environments and like real sunsets and stuff. And he's like, wow, it actually looks good. You don't have to do CG to, to make <laughs> Earth look cool. Um, but that is blended in with some, I think, pretty uh, jaw-dropping uh, CGI set pieces too. Um, I, I can't get over it how big like the celestials are like literally like planet-sized people um that's that's such a hard concept to convey um visually because like how do you have a conversation with something that's as big as the planet um and and they find a pretty clever way to do it that i i I really dig get some good you know like wallpapers out of this for your computer (laughs) Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's a movie I think a lot of people are going to skip in theaters because you know every time you go to theaters now it's a little bit of a risk. Um, but uh, I think ultimately it's it's perfectly fine, um, which is still disappointing because you know in the back of my mind I was hoping this would be you know a, a great reinvention of superhero movies or just the best Marvel movie or. or something amazing and instead it's it's fine so let's talk about the burbs um, let's do it john had you seen this movie before i sure had okay <laughs> but i didn't remember anything from it yeah because i feel a little weird hosting uh this episode <laughs> that's the the Joe Dante guy when you've definitely seen more Joe Dante movies than me um have you seen all of his 80s movies i guess the only one that i'm not mm. sure if you've seen is explorers 
Uh, that's the one where the kids go on the spaceship, right? Uh, with, uh, yeah, was it like Ethan it. Hawk, maybe, or River? Yeah, Phoenix? Ethan Hawk and River Phoenix. Oh, I hate oh, that movie. Yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> it's a really obnoxious movie. <laughs> Probably my least favorite aliens in movie history. They're interesting looking, but like one of them, like his whole shtick is he just repeats like stuff he's heard on TV, and it's just fucking irritating. It's I don't. That's my least favorite Joe Dante film. Easily, I would rather mm. watch Looney Tunes back in action twice. <laughs> <laughs> have to watch that again. I'm looking at his 80s. Yeah, I've seen all of his 80s and all of his 90s. So there's only three movies. Yeah, but I haven't seen his last two movies. Okay. Um, but most of these I haven't seen in a while. Like I haven't seen Matinee yeah. since I was probably you know 20 years old. Yeah. And this I haven't seen. Who knows? Probably since I was a teenager. So okay. it's it basically like I saw it for the first time. All I remember is there's a spooky house. I couldn't tell you a single scene that happens in the movie. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the main thing of the movie, is that there's a spooky house. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's this... He, he had definitely a run of movies <laughs> in the 80s. Some of them uh, big hits like Gremlins. And then, yeah, you got, like, Explorers in Inner Space, which, you know, kind of forgot movies, but... Uh, and then The Burbs... I did read... Yeah. Yeah, oh, sorry uh, for interrupting. I did read that after Gremlins, he says this is the movie that people bring up to him the most in his career. That makes which sense. Which I guess yeah. makes sense, because it's got Tom Hanks, which definitely helps its legacy. Yeah... It feels like it has a bit of a cult following, um, which I'm not sure if I totally understand. Like, I kind of get it. It has, like, a, a, a unique vibe to it, I suppose. Um, it's a big AJ movie, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> it's a friend of ours. It's, it's big into the burbs. Um I guess I kind of get it if, like, it's something you saw as a kid and you grew up in the suburbs and you kind of identified with the uh, the, the boredom of that will lead your mind to wander the way that it does for these characters uh, if you're in the suburbs. Um, I guess I was interested to know... How much of a relationship did you guys have with your neighbors since we all grew up in the same suburbs just outside of Seattle? Because I, like, similarly grew up in a cul-de-sac, and I feel like I knew all my neighbors pretty well, but now that I think about it, I'm like, I don't know what was going on with that guy. <laughs> like, I had a neighbor who, he's, he's, he still lives there, he's, like, he's just, like, always working in his garage on shit and i didn't know like what was going on there he had this really old truck that he still has that is just like his life's work to keep this old truck alive and then next door from him was a guy who would just like always hang out in his van outside of his house and i didn't think so about <laughs> i didn't think about it at the time but i was just like wave to him he'd just be like oh that's just ed he's hanging out in his van and now i'm like yeah he probably just like didn't have a great relationship with his wife 
if he had to like go be in his van to be away from her but whatever it sounds like everyone was a murderer well also you lived in kind of a cul-de-sac which is a t- i feel like a different dynamic oh totally and then i also that add much closer you know that guy ross that we went to high school with uh, I, I think when i think of ross i think of cowboy hat arms always folded <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, when I think of him, I think about the time that um, we found a like a wasp nest inside of a uh, giant log next to our house, and he threw a baseball bat at it, and I got stung three times, and he got stung like six times. Uh, Jesus. So yeah, just lots, lots of suburban hijinks going on in that cul-de-sac, <laughs> kind of like this movie. My neighbors, I. Like so, the weird thing about the my parents' house is that it's on a hill, but also the people across the street, are like up higher than us, it's very high and low. They look down on us from their fancy, fancy, fancy houses. That was weird. Um, yeah. So I, we we didn't I didn't really know any of them except for um, like one example very briefly. Uh, but we knew some other people who lived on the street, and and the the two houses uh, to to the side of, of ours, we we knew those families very well. There's uh, 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 on one side a, a a couple that was just like a little bit older than my parents, you know. So like when we were little kids, their kids are like teenagers, um, and and uh, the, the the mom. Uh, ran a daycare um so we you know would stay there sometimes if both our parents were, were gone and then um on the other side was like just a very old couple they were already uh senior citizens like when i was born um, so i mean that was that was that's what i associate with neighbors this is so like old people that <laughs> will, i guess take care of you what about the guy that blocked your dad's view Okay, well, I mean, I don't really see that with my childhood since I had moved out by then. But yeah, someone uh, bought um, the lot behind our house and uh, built the biggest house they legally could uh, right, like on the on the back line of that lot. So basically, put a house in our backyard, um, totally annihilating um, the view my parents used to have of uh the, the kirkland waterfront and all the way out to seattle now it's just a view of that house which is just a big block because when you're making a house that's as big as you legally can you don't you know worry about having like a nice roof or anything you just make it a big square cube well wasn't the story your dad told was that he asked the guy to like just to to make it not so tall or like obtrusive of his view or something and then the guy supposedly put a whole other story on his house just to piss off your dad yeah there was something like that. like what the way i remember it is like he asked him if he could like you know like leave spaces in the deck so that he like we could see through the deck mm-hmm. and instead he like raised the deck up and made it sheer just nothing you know and then, of course, my dad made the weird choice of, like, going up on our roof and putting a webcam up there so that he could re-get the view digitally. Mm-hmm. So he, like, put a 
webcam up there and he put a TV in a window so he could like <laughs> see the view that way instead of seeing their house through the window. Um, which then they thought was like him putting a webcam to spy on them <laughs> on the deck. Um, and you know, these people are just like, um, just like a house flipping couple. Like this is what they do is they buy cheap lots or, um, run down houses and then they fix them up and sell them for more money. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just, it sucked. Yeah. It really does sound like something that would be in a movie like The Burbs, though, or, or some yeah. movie or sitcom. That dynamic of it, it would actually, I've, it would have added something to The Burbs because then there would be a uh, there would be a more obtrusive reason for uh, for the neighborhood to suddenly take interest of this house because I think the only one we're really given uh, is that they they're not taking care of their yard, like they don't have a lawn. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what what that's the the what sparks the uh, the neighborhood's interest in what's going on in this mysterious haunted house. It doesn't sound like there's much to talk about as far as the uh, like the production of this movie. <laughs> so, like, unlike most of the films I end up picking, like everything just like went very smoothly. Like Dana Olson, the writer, wrote this script like a little bit. Um, based on his his own childhood growing up in in a middle class suburb and kind of hearing these stories about i guess there's like some hatchet murder that happened that people would kind of kind of talk about uh and um then i guess after he wrote the script it got into the hands of i think brian grazer's then company and then he was just like eh it would be good for Joe Dante to direct, and they got Joe Dante to to do it. And he's like, yeah, sure, why not? And then they were like, yeah, let's get Tom Hanks to do it. And Tom Hanks was like, yeah, sure, I'll be in this movie. Uh, and then they just made it. It's, uh, it just seemed like a, there was no problems, no recasting, no other directors that were supposed to be involved in making it. It's just everybody who wanted to make this movie made it. Uh, which, I don't know, maybe informs the, like, just kind of hanging out vibe (laughs) of some of this movie. Um, it is interesting to look at Tom Hanks's 80s, just because I am not that familiar with a lot of his 80s movies. And I think he was kind of just, like, finding his 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 way as as a leading man um i guess this would have been just after big um yeah that would have been the year before um and i guess it, it does seem like he had already established his sort of everyman persona which i guess is why joe dante wanted him for this movie but um it, it's it's he is just playing like the most typical American dad guy. Um, and do we want to go through the plot or we could go through the characters on this one just because there are a lot of sort of zany characters and the plot's pretty basic. 
We could do the characters. I mean, the plot is they got some creepy neighbors that moved in, and they're spying on them, and they think they might be murderers. That's the plot. Yeah. Just a bunch of sneaking around. <laughs> Basically. I feel like, before we get into the characters, though, mm-hmm. I feel like we don't get... I guess we already mentioned this. <laughs> that, yeah, we don't we don't get enough uh, implication that they're up to no good, aside from, the, like you are saying, the doing backyard stuff. I feel like there need to be more of an element of danger in this movie. But, uh, whatever, yeah, yeah it's a hangout movie. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, I mean, we got, there's the bone, the femur that they find. That's true, there is the bone. They see, like, I don't know, like flashes of light coming from the basement. I mean, that's the first scene of the movie where Tom Hanks is walking out at night and sees that, and he's like, what's going on there? Uh, and the guy who lives there looks weird. <laughs> uh, very pale. But yeah, otherwise... Wait, which guy? They're all... Uh, <laughs> I think his name is like Hans. Yeah. Are you talking about Hans? Okay. Uh, yeah, they, I guess Hans. that's the only guy they see, because he's the only guy that has gone like outside the house. Yeah. To just kind of yeah. look around. Because uh, I mean, the other guy is weird too, brother Theodore. If you're okay with talking about it, like this is sort of my problem with the movie on on the the biggest level is, um, they it I, I think it does a good job of them showing these paranoid people continually making the worst assumption um, possible about the evidence they find about their mysterious neighbors, mm-hmm. um, which I like. It's uh, you know it's a fun take on the rear window plot um but the only the only version of the rear window story that i think actually has a satisfying conclusion is the simpsons episode bart of darkness um where if you remember that episode bart breaks his leg and becomes convinced that um ned flanders has killed his wife and then at the very end uh, Flanders explains basically all the weird things that Bart saw, and they all are perfectly fine, and and, and Maud is is perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's the way you got to pay off a paranoia story: is hey, you were being paranoid, and you're wrong, and, this, and things are not the way you thought they were. Uh, and my disappointment with Rear Window and now the Burbs is that it ends with actually you were right to be paranoid. Uh, because these people are evil and are murderers. I, I will, um, yeah. Which undermines everything. It, it, you're right. I will give the movie some points, though, for really making it seem like they're really wrong at first, near the end. Like, they've blown up the house, and it's like, you're fucking wrong. But then, yeah. he's in the ambulance. Could have stopped like, there. Oh, wait. No, you're right. I do like the kind of <laughs> one last turn. Though it's funny because, like, I, going back, I would have been like, you know, if it had ended with just him blowing up their house, that's kind of a better ending. Yeah, it is. <laughs> because it, it, then the movie has a message about uh, suburbia, and it has a message about paranoia and and distrust and this this way that people are isolating each other in their castles and putting up moats between each other and instead 
it ends with this weird like triumphantly going off with his wife and uh and, and telling Corey feldman to look after things while he's gone it's just like what what, 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 what am I? What's the lesson here now, guys? I would love to know if that is how the original script ended, or if that was like a script note. I'm gonna guess, just looking at this writer's uh, filmography, that that was always the ending, just because a lot of these other script, like this, is probably the best movie Dana Olson ever wrote. Because I, I see Inspector Gadget, George of the Jungle. Um, he's got a writing credit on Memoirs of an Invisible Man, which I watched recently, which is not good. Um. <laughs> So yeah, it probably was always like that. Because like Colin said, nothing went wrong. Everything went perfectly right. Everyone had a great time. <laughs> really the only negative thing I read is, even though Tom Hanks had a good time making the movie, him and Rick Ducommon didn't really get along. I guess we could transition and talk about some of the cast. Um, Rick Ducommon, who yeah. plays uh, Tom Hanks' best friend, which is interesting because this is a guy who was like, I kind of recognize him in small roles in other comedies. Like, he's one of the drunk guys from Groundhog Day. Uh, yeah. Yep. Um, but that, that's, like, it. <laughs> I, like, yeah. And you look at most of it, like... Here, I'm going to go to his uh, his Wikipedia page. He has passed on uh, now, unfortunately. But some of the characters he's played in his career... Spaceballs. He plays Guard. Um, Hunt for Red October. Navigator. Gremlins 2. Security Guards. <laughs> Like, this is probably the biggest party ever had, right? Yeah, I mean, I was surprised to see him have this big of a role. Because, yeah, I was like, who is this guy? And everybody else in the movie is pretty famous. Pretty well-known actors. And then he's, like, the number two in the movie, basically. So is he good, though, is the question. I thought he was pretty good, yeah. I, I thought he was good, too. Yeah. Like he was the he's the perfect level of annoying. I love how he comes over to their house, and he's like getting out a rack of ribs from their fridge. He's just going deep, and they're just kind of watching him as he's just eating like stuff in his face. Mm-hmm. I was confused though. At first, I thought he was Corey Feldman's dad, and then I guess he just like hangs out with him, <laughs> right? Like Corey yeah. Feldman, we never see his parents, right? Am I am I correct in that? I don't think so. No. Which I like. I like that we just know him as just this, like, kind of, not quite a hoodlum, but close to a hoodlum kid that lives in the neighborhood. Like, drink beers with this other, this adult. (laughs) Who, like, okay, okay, I also got to point out, I know that Tom Hanks is on vacation, but what the fuck is everybody else doing? Are they also all (laughs) on vacation? Well, I assume that (laughs) Bruce Stern's character is, like, retired. He's a little older. Or at but, least he's a veteran, so like maybe yeah, he's got some sort of pension or something. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, uh, Art, uh, Tom Hanks' friend. I don't know if he has a job. <laughs> <laughs> maybe this is what he does every day. He's got a house. At yeah. least we think that's his house. <laughs> well, I, the ending doesn't. Is this? I, doesn't someone say like your wife's coming back or your wife's here? Mm. So like maybe oh. maybe he's in a reverse Tom Hanks situation where his wife was on vacation, but he was home. Mm-hmm. I think in that case, I wouldn't have minded a little extra world building. Though I don't know, it's tough because in another respect, I really appreciate that this movie is so self-contained and so focused on specifically one thing. 
Like, it's all set in this cul-de-sac, and it's all about figuring out what the fuck is going on with those neighbors. There's not really much in the way of subplots or anything. It's just so honed in on that. And you gotta admire it for that. I can't remember who said it. I don't know if it's Joe Dante or somebody else said, like, you could almost make this like a play. Yeah. I mean, not really because of the sets, but it's that kind of story. Yeah. Um, connected to that, yeah, one thing I thought was cool that they filmed all of it on this kind of fake neighborhood set on the Universal backlot that's kind of famous, I guess, is, is called Colonial Street, where they shot like a bunch of TV and movies there. Like, um, I think they shot like the original Leave it to Beaver there, uh, which like works totally well that <laughs> you know this movie does kind of have a little bit of a, a a kind of dark side of the 50s suburban tv uh life basically and i like that the characters are always kind of watching tv when they're not spying on each other um mm-hmm. so yeah that's cool that, that it is cool takes place in this this well-known tv back lot um I'm almost, I'm, I'd almost like to see that darkness like kicked up one more notch. I think yeah. I agree with you. The the comedy is mostly pretty light. Um, I don't know. Wikipedia calls it a black comedy, but I, I feel like it could be a little darker. Wouldn't you love to see David Lynch's The Burbs? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Kind of what Blue Velvet is. <laughs> I know, I, like the opening of Blue Velvet. Yeah. Like that's what the Burbs needed. It needed a scene like the finding, like the finger. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, they found a bone. They found a bone. They find, they find just, the just dial it up a little more. Yeah, they should have found a whole skeleton. I guess that would have been less funny. <laughs> There is good stuff in here, though. I, I like yeah. the uh, the story about the I- ice cream man murderer. The guy who had like the soda shop, killed his whole yeah. family, and then it was a heat wave, and it stunk up the place. Also, a great thing that Joe Dante did in Gremlins, where it's like, let's have a guy just tell like or someone tell like a really freaky story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like the scary, like uh, sad Santa story from Gremlins. Virtually yeah. nothing to do with the plot. Just have this scene in there. Yeah. I didn't think about how many times uh, Joe Dante has done like small town films. I mean, sort of like this and Gremlins and Matinee and Small Soldiers. I mm-hmm. feel like, yeah, you can. I feel like there's a, a bloodline between all of those. I mean, they're all Joe Dante films, but mm-hmm. I feel like thematically there's something tie- that ties all those together. Was this supposed to be a specific um, part of the country? I mean, obviously there's a a zoom in and zoom out to start and end the movie that make it look like it's somewhere in the Midwest. I read Uh, somewhere it was Iowa, which is weird. I mean, I don't know what Iowa looks like. I just assume it looks like Field of Dreams and it's just corn everywhere. (laughs) I think, yeah, that's kind of where I assumed it was, just judging geographically from where the camera zooms in i forgot that we opened up with a shot of the earth what's up with that what's the uh why why do they do that because it ends zooming out of earth too yeah it goes right back to where we started well it's because uh we're being watched by those 
Those two aliens from The Simpsons. Being watched from the aliens from Explorers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You guys I don't know what those are, John. No one's seen that movie. You guys gotta watch Explorers just... Because I feel like it's a movie that a lot of people like and I hate. (laughs) And I love Joe Dante. So I need you guys to see it to confirm to me that it's bad. Uh Uh, Let me look at some of the aliens. They're hideous. Um... I'm going to send you guys a picture of one of the aliens from Explorers. It's a ambitious design that I find absolutely unappealing. Mm-hmm. Um, not enough uh, creatures in this movie. Ugh. There isn't any. It's got to be one of the few Joe Dante movies. Yeah, oh, wow. I don't, oh, Sean's that one too. I don't like One of the few Joe Dante much. movies that doesn't have like monsters. Even, well, but you can tell yeah. which one's the boy one and which one's the girl one, though. So that's helpful. That's true. Oh, yeah. She's got that's eyelashes that look like eyelashes. toes, basically. And giant lips for no reason. Mm-hmm. God, this thing's actually pretty scary. This big alien who has arms on his head and big gut. Yeah. He reminds me of Mojo from the from the X-Men comics. Guys, I'm sure they'll get to him in a movie at some point. Yeah. Um, but no, that, that... You want to bet on that? <laughs> what? I mean, he's a morbidly obese slug man that has mechanical spider legs that has a reality TV world. I feel like if you want to do long shot that character, you gotta do Bojo. <laughs> We're getting into some deep X-Men now. And not to go on, continue on this X-Men tangent, but I will. You guys remember the character Arcade? Wouldn't you love to see him? Sean, do you remember Arcade? Yeah, I had a game called Arcade's Revenge. Yeah, that was, like, that was like a big game. That, that, what a great villain to have in an X-Men movie. Just like some ginger guy who creates like killer video game environments. Just screams right there. looks like one. pizza. Okay, now I gotta look this up. I, this, is, this sounds really good now. Okay, hold on. Uh, while I'm looking that up, though... So is the zooming in on the Earth just supposed to be like, can you believe this crazy shit happens in just this one small little place on this big pale blue dot? Yeah, I think it's supposed to just be like, this could happen anywhere. We could have zoomed it on any neighborhood in America and this type of weird thing could be happening. Arcade's tie is pizza. (laughs) I think when I'm done, when we're done here tonight, I'm going to uh, read some old X-Men comics. I, I used to have this one. I'm going to send you guys. I'm sending you guys a lot of pictures. Nobody can hear any of this or see any of this. Um, I'm sending you the, this comic book I used to have, uh, where Arcade puts all the X-Men in a giant pinball machine. <laughs> and that's not just a tease. This does happen in the issue. Good. Also, apparently, Good. Spider-Man's there. This mustn't be like directly tied to that video game. Because I believe Spider-Man was in that video game. I actually, when I was watching this, I did have to look up. Like, do you think there's a Burbs video game? They used to make games with a lot of weird stuff. Yeah, could believe, but no, there wasn't. Um, speaking of merchandising, I like that they're eating Gremlin cereal in an early scene in this movie. Oh, I love always the that. best. Yeah, so good. So good. All right. So, do we did we touch on the other neighbors? We kind of Bruce uh, briefly touched on um, Bruce Dern. 
Yeah, we didn't really talk about Tom Hanks, but he's just you know he's just being Tom Hanks. He's he's Ray, this this guy who could have gone on vacation, but instead he took what we now refer to as a staycation. He's just staying home, doing nothing. Which is a very weird move when you have a family. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like his son isn't that much. uh, Isn't a big part of the movie though. Yeah. Uh, did you read all the stuff about how Tom Hanks wanted them to write the son out of the script? <laughs> I didn't. I think he felt he felt like he was he wasn't ready to play dad characters. That once he was gonna mm. once he play, played a dad character, that's who he was as an actor, and he couldn't play like young man roles anymore. So I don't think he was ready he was, to go into like family man parts. I guess. Um, yeah, I was about to say he was kind of right. But maybe not. I guess he's not a dad in a lot of his early 90s movies. I think this, this must have been the first time. Yeah, I mean, he's a dad in Sleepless in Seattle, but not in, like, a league of their own. Not in Philadelphia. Not Well, he, he ends up being one in Forrest Gump. But yeah. I think once he's in a once he does Apollo thirteen though, it's like you can never not be a dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from because you're a, you're kind of America's dad now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, kid doesn't do much in the movie. Carrie Fisher doesn't do as much as I'd hoped because I forgot she was in this, and I was yeah. so excited to see that she was in this because mm-hmm. you don't see her that often, really, outside of Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah, she pretty much just rolls her eyes. Yeah, it's still fun that she's in it, but yeah, she just she just kind of rolls her eyes at him. Uh, not much to it. Um, I also want to point out that Bruce Dern's wife, Wendy Shaw, uh, is uh, Francine on American Dad, and she got that part because Seth MacFarlane is such a fan of the Burbs. Hmm. So because he liked the Burbs, she's been on American Dad for like 16 years. Yeah. Good for her. I'm sure it's a nice paycheck. And we also got Corey Feldman. Uh, second time on the pod. He's yeah. also in Lost Boys. Of course, he's in Doing a normal voice this time. Uh, yeah, he's just playing a normal what voice? kid. He was doing a weird voice in the Lost Boys, yeah. Think we took some issue with i think it's uh, funny but i i get it <laughs> i like cory feldman it's too bad cory feldman he's a complicated guy because it does seem like he's come into contact with some pretty terrible people um throughout mm-hmm. his time in hollywood but like his music is so weird and a lot of the choices he's made over the past 20 years are weird but at least as a kid i always thought he was good like i always like seeing him in an old movie turn up i think he brings it yeah, he's a good, good child actor. He's in a lot of very iconic movies from that era. Um, I guess we should say, with this movie, we are inducting Dick Miller into oh, the Three Timers right. Club. He was in Looney Tunes Back in Action and Rock and Roll High School, and now The Burbs. Also, also. Robert Picardo, who also plays a garbage man in this, because he, if you recall, is this his third yeah, time? he was in he he was in Looney Tunes back in action, the bird, okay. and he has the most brief cameo in Back to School. 
he cheats on because uh, Ronnie Dangerfield's wife, Adrian Barbeau, cheats yeah. on him with him. But you only see it in like a videotape. But it's Robert Picardo. <laughs> so we've done Robert Picardo three times in like three of his most insignificant roles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, though there are still other great Joe Dante movies to do that he has much bigger roles in, you know, mm. like Gremlins 2 or Matinee or uh, The Howling. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if Robert Ricardo comes up a fourth time. He's mm. just that good. <laughs> I like those Garbage Men characters. I wish those guys were in it more. They're funny. Yeah, they're remember they're trying to like dig through the trash what are they trying to find in the trash they're trying to find the club checks I think yeah just well yeah because they they see Hans the the weird son like take out a bag of garbage uh, to the garbage can and like stuff it in there and uh, Ray and Art are just speculating what's in that bag I guess as soon as gets a body or something yeah and so when the garbage men come to pick it up they like make them throw all the trash on the ground and then the garbage men also get like kind of invested in it, <laughs> thinking that there might be a body in the bags or something. You know, I think I like well, I like that scene. Not not just that you know, I like those actors, but it, it was nice to have a scene where there were characters who weren't all caught up in this conspiracy. Because that's kind of the thing is most of the movie, like all the characters, I guess outside of the wives, are all pretty much all on the same page. Was like okay, we definitely believe there's something going on with these people. Yeah. So I wish there were more scenes. Like maybe they could have a scene with like some police officers or something. Like what the fuck are you guys looking doing? You know, just to kind of step yeah. back and look at how bizarre the situation is. Or, or, or maybe it would have even been better if just Tom Hanks thought something weird was going on, and all the other neighbors didn't believe him until like maybe the end they kind of joined in and started to believe him. Uh. Whereas they're pretty much all together, like, right at the get-go. Yeah. They're all bored. They're just that bored. It's because nobody goes to fucking work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what else are they going to do? <sighs> they spy on each other. Mm-hmm. It's a good idea. It just needs a little work. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's a little too loosey-goosey. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it just needed to, like, escalate more at the end. I don't know. Maybe it just, like, takes too long to get to them sneaking around in the neighbor's house and and the the twist that comes in the end. I don't know. It's just a little too leisurely, but... The club chaps should have had like a monstrous like dog or creature that would like keep them from getting to the house continually. There's there's part of my rewrite. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Uh, they did have a big dog. Uh, that's true. Mm-hmm. I but you know if it wasn't weird enough. I mean like a dog that's like got two heads or something, <laughs> which is possible. This happened in nature. Or a pet crocodile, maybe. Maybe they have a moat. <laughs> okay, we're going yeah. a little too far, a little too hard. But maybe that's what it needs. Maybe it needs more of a wacky, almost Adam's family level of of weirdness. Mm-hmm. I think that you know, you're right. I think that's the other way to go with it is to have a third act that just goes crazy. Yeah, just absolutely flies off the track. Um, 
you know. Oh yeah. Yeah, you know, a, a way that this ends with like Tom Hanks nuking America or something, you know, just like <laughs> uh, ups, just an obscene escalation. I don't know if it had to, if you know, it has to go that. It could just like be a, in like no, like like <laughs> he finds out there's a secret underground society of mole Ooh. people that have been replacing. And oh. filling the houses, so they're working their way up from the underground, and they're taking over. This you know, this is starting this, to remind me of House of a Thousand Corpses, <laughs> where in that uh, beloved classic film, they find out that there's like an underground network where there's an evil scientist making like zombies, like running around in a maze. <laughs> we need some of that. We need Rob yeah, Zombies I mean, the Burbs. Ugh, no, I, 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 uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. <laughs> that sounds bad. I would have liked that more than the the half measure of blowing up the house and, and blowing up the house is pretty good so. though. That's pretty mm-hmm. good. I love seeing Tom Hanks walk out of the house that's just engulfed in fire. It's a great shot. But I know what you mean. Like a handful of bones yeah i get that they're dead people but it's just it's not enough we need to like i'm not saying we need to catch them in the act but just something a little more shocking yeah or something bigger go big or go home because it would have even been it would have even made the the opening make more sense where it's like this can you believe this crazy thing happened in this little small little area on the planet where if like it escalated to something huge but all still self-contained in this neighborhood. Maybe they should have blown up every house. Yeah, I, don't, I need it to be like a Repo Man or a Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, yeah. Just like, just fucking, it gets fucking wild. <laughs> yeah, I actually I, watched uh, Big Trouble in Little China this week. <laughs> I think either the day after I watched this or the day before. And yeah, it is, it's like a movie from the exact same period where it just like goes balls to the wall yeah when john was talking about having a, a a big monstrous dog i was thinking about that weird like ape creature that shows up <laughs> towards the end of big trouble little shadows yeah yeah something like that in their basement would be pretty fun Something, yeah, something like that, and they're like, "What the hell was that?" And then they're like, "That's just our dog." God, you know. It, now I am starting to lean in the direction of, what if they had like all this crazy shit, and they had a monster dog, and then they still turn out to be good people? Ooh, that is more compelling. That's interesting. And Tom Hanks just goes to jail. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Or gets abducted by movies. aliens. It does open with a shot of the planet from space. I'm so <laughs> fixated on that. It opens with a shot of the planet Earth. It's a very bizarre thing to do. Okay, now i got to look up every movie. You think it's a letterbox list of movies that start with the planet Earth and zoom in? I can think of one other. Uh, and that's Burn After Reading. But like that makes sense because it's like an espionage conspiracy movie. Because like near the end, George Clooney thinks like everybody's watching him and spying on him. Uh, but no, now I got to look at movies that open with Earth and zoom in. I got I got two. That's always enough. That's enough for a list. Yeah. What What else is? There? I guess we didn't really talk about the club checks that much. Yeah. Um. Henry Gibson shows up. 
as a I don't I guess he's doing experiments on people in his basement. Mm-hmm. Um, I always associate him one with him being in Nashville and also him being in the Disney Channel movie uh, Luck of the Irish. Right, right, right. I think that's what which, I associate him to. Which is great casting. Like, if someone's going to play your leprechaun <laughs> grandfather, it's it's got to be Henry Gibson. Uh, yeah, no, he's perfect. You're right. Isn't he also the Nazi in the Blues Brothers? Um, that's, yeah. That's right. Yeah. That movie's got so many people, I always forget. Uh, yeah. Also, Carrie Fisher. Mm. Right. Right. And uh, Ray Charles. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of good people in that movie. Yeah, imagine if Ray Charles was in the verbs. Like, he was down in the basement. Or he was the name. Oh, okay, I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, they've ca- they captured Ray Charles. Ray Charles. Like, the reason it was lighting okay, up is because okay. Ray Charles was playing shows in their base. I've got a dark joke, but I think Ray Charles would be on board for it. If they find Ray Charles, he's like, they took my eyes. I think he would appreciate that. I think he would actually be down. Maybe not. I know Stevie Wonder would be down because there's that joke on the Cosby show where, like, they got into a car accident, like a fender bender with Stevie Wonder, and it was implied that he was driving. <laughs> So clearly he's okay to make fun of his blindness. Mm-hmm. Or you could cast Ray Charles. Because now we're just fan. Re- Why does Ray Charles have to be in this movie? <laughs> I just so like... Confused. It's just like we're talking about how this movie needs like an extra element of weird. And I feel like some mm-hmm. stunt casting would, would might get you there too. I think Ray mm-hmm. Charles would be good as maybe that neighbor with the dog. Oh, he's a, oh, Ray Charles is like a nice guy though. And that neighbor is kind of like uptight. Maybe not mm-hmm. the right type. That, that's more of like a Robert Picardo role, but obviously he's already the garbage man. <laughs> Dual roles, maybe. Some of that. Some, some you guys remember shit. when uh, when Stevie Wonder was performing at some event and he finished his song and then nobody came to get him and so he's just stuck, left on the stage, just Dude. like sitting there? Oh, yeah. No. What was the... I, I don't know if this is right. I want to say it was at, like, the MTV Movie Awards when he was performing Wild Wild West with Will Smith. Um, that brother Theodore guy is kind of funny. He's kind of an interesting uh, personality that I haven't seen in a lot of movies. I guess he was, like, a, a humorist. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did the voice of Gollum in some of those uh, Rankin and Bass animated <laughs> movies. So, could say he originated the role, which is cool. It's a pretty different Gollum voice. I've never so. seen those movies. I don't know what his take is. He's he does a, a kind of a low low pitch yeah. uh, kind of growly voice. It's kind of like a generic "I'm a monster" voice. Yeah, or is Andy Circus. I don't think anyone would have predicted that. Weird cartoon Hell of a thing. Ironically. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it seemed like uh, Brother Theodore was kind of just cast for how he looks because they didn't give him a ton of dialogue or really any role in the plot except for 
making Tom Hanks eat a sardine off of a pretzel, which is pretty good. I like that. Pretty great. I like that. Gag. Also, I don't. It's funny. I didn't remember this. I guess I wasn't paying close enough attention. There's those satanic dream sequences. Yeah. And at the this is one of those movies where the end credits is like it shows the actor's name and like as like a, an image of them from the movie, like doing a scene from the movie. And for Brother Theodore, he's getting like out of a cult robe, and I I didn't remember that that shot. <laughs> Um, okay, but I guess he gets to do that, which is fun. Yeah, no, that's pretty memorable. He gets to be a cultist in that dream. Yeah. More dreams, more weird stuff. Um, and it's it's funny too because they got the right guy. Joe Dante is the perfect fit for this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the script is so close; it just needs a little more tweaking. Because, like, most of this movie, I was just like, yeah, I'm having a pretty good time. I'm not, like, laughing a lot. But <laughs> I'm invested. I like Tom Hanks. I think the movie looks pretty good. I like the, the sets. Um, it's engaging. It just, I, I, I guess when you, when you think Joe Dante, like, you think something crazy like Gremlins 2. You think, like, this guy makes live-action cartoons. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a few moments like that, like the the shot that yeah. in this movie that I think is straight out of a cartoon is when they're knocking on the Clopex door and it says six six nine, and then it like turns over and it turns into six six six. Yes, like that that looks straight out of a Looney Tunes cartoon. Oh yeah, like uh, Bugs Bunny's going to like Peter Laurie's house. My yeah. favorite Looney Tunes character. <laughs> And then that happens to the door. <laughs> yeah, it is weird that it has a cult. Why do you think it does have a cult status? What do you think is it about this movie that appeals to people today? Uh, I mean, it's always been trendy to hate on the suburbs. Um, um, maybe this is kind of uh, an early example of, of media that portrays suburban life in a negative light. Uh, although, again, I stand by it undermines that message uh in the end uh but up until up until the last couple minutes of the movie it does a pretty good job showing the suburbs as the 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 insular waspy uh hideout uh that that it was designed to be um so i think that that is definitely attractive to uh to, to people that are resistant to that you know what's so funny? Um, we've talked a lot about the script, and I'm, I'm on the trivia section on the IMDb, and I'm reading that this movie was made during a writer's strike in 1988. Hmm. So, like, Dana Olsen couldn't, like, revise or tell them anything. <laughs> so the movie actually had a lot of improvisation. Interesting. So that's that's interesting. It, it makes you wonder if there wasn't a writer's strike. Uh, if it, it probably wouldn't be dramatically different, but... Y- you have to wonder um, if it would feel a little less like a hangout movie. <laughs> I don't know. Also, another great fact that I just found out, uh, the poodle in this movie is the same poodle from Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> I love stuff like that. Uh, Michael Jackson's uh, chimp bubbles visited the set uh, because uh, Corey Feldman is friends with Michael Jackson. And... Uh, they put like I guess they put the chimp in Corey Feldman's trailer 
Um, and then it spread feces all around his trailer, and Joe okay. Dante had to ban Bubbles from the set. <laughs> That's such a great sentence. Joe Dante eventually banned Bubbles from the set. Like, what do you mean? He, do you like go up to Bubbles and be like, "Sorry, you, you gotta go. It's not working out. You're a distraction." This is a pretty great trivia section because mm. some of this I don't even know. This is like one where it's like Tom Hanks uh, had such a good time that he personally bought everyone sunglasses and left a thank you note to everyone in the cast. <laughs> it's like, okay. Good. I love hearing any story about Michael Jackson being invited onto a film production. Have you guys heard Amic Best's story oh, about yes. beating Yes, him? yes, yes. I've heard it on two different podcasts. It's a fantastic story, though. <laughs> it's devastating. I mean, so go look up those podcasts. But in effect, George Lucas takes uh, Natalie Portman and Amic Best to um, a Michael Jackson concert and then gets them all together. And he, like, and that's when he tells Michael Jackson that he's cast Amic Best to play Jar Jar Banks. Because up till that point, Michael Jackson thought he was going to play Jar Jar Banks. <laughs> Yeah. This is an incredible dick move by George Lucas. What I love about that story is they're watching Michael Jackson. This is at like Wembley or, or something. And like, they say, like, on my best says, like, a guy comes out of like a secret compartment in the, in the building and like takes them backstage through like a series of tunnels or whatever. And then George Lucas introduces, introduces him as, and this is Jar Jar Binks. He doesn't just say this is Ahmed uh, Best playing Jar Jar Banks. He says this is Jar Jar Banks. So cruel. And Jack's just like, oh, oh, yeah. I'm really glad we didn't get Michael Jackson as Jar Jar Banks though. That would have been just too strange. I can't imagine how he would have done it. I have no idea. It's impossible to imagine. Well, he was in Men in Black too, and that was pretty funny. <laughs> So it's true. It, there's You're right. you can make it work. He was Captain EO. That was pretty good. That's his George Lucas connection. Um don't think I have anything else to say about the burbs. Uh do you wanna do a villain's wiki, John? Uh sure. I will do a Or Sean, do you have villain. goofs? Can't remember which goes. I mean, first. there's a whole bunch of goofs. Yeah. Um, I think the most interesting one is the people point out uh, in, in several different goofs that they're like they have references to like real estate agents uh, like having sold the house, mm-hmm. um, which then flies in the face of the final reveal that they um, killed the previous tenants of the house took it from them yeah uh because you know you, you, if you do that you can't also sell the house it's, it's, it's one of the other guys uh but you know maybe that is what like you were pointing out a uh, result of them having to improvise dialogue i mean the, the thing about goofs is you're not gonna get a you know hey jeff level goof every time <laughs> Those are few and far between. That's a rare treat. Yeah. What movie was that? 
<laughs> I don't even remember. I just remember Hey Jack. <laughs> where that was not the character's name. I'm sure all our fans know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And if you're a fan of this podcast, that means you love John's Rose Gallery. <laughs> God, I love being a bad guy. Guys, this is uh, John's Rogues Gallery. We're talking about uh, Werner Klopek. He is an evildoer. Alias. Air Klopek. And the Doctor. The Doctor. Origin. The Burbs. Da Burbs. How can we ever do that the whole time? (laughs) (laughs) George Went would have been perfect for this movie. I guess he probably doesn't get to star in a lot of movies. <laughs> Except for that, like, was that hostage for a day? I mean, he's a bigger star than Rick Dukon. Yeah, I was just going to say. Oh, my God. Part. Oh, he's so good. Guys, there's a movie that's really, really underrated from the 80s called House, not to be confused with the Japanese movie. It stars William Cat. Uh, and he plays like a Stephen King type writer uh, who moves into a haunted house that he's inherited. And his neighbor is George Went, and George Went's like a super fan of his work, and he's so good in the movie. He's so funny, and you keep thinking like he's gonna try to be a bad guy, but it's like no, he's just like his best friend. It's perfect. <laughs> and okay, see, subvert the expectations. George Went. Okay, and then one more thing: they made a, a, a sequel to House called House Two: The Second Story, like how a House has a second story. <laughs> yeah. Very good. And then there's a and the best part of that movie is John Ratzenberger shows up nice. as a swashbuckling electrician who fights ancient Aztecs. These are comedies. See, These are horror comedies. Now, if they had dug up ancient Aztecs in the basement and then had to sword fight them, this would be a great movie with a yeah. for a sword fight. I love our version of the birds. Our version's called Dub Birds. <laughs> <laughs> takes place in uh, Chicago, of course. Mm-hmm. Chicago, yeah, we moved it one state over. <laughs> <laughs> Back to Werner Klopek, guys. His power slash skills are manipulation and cunning. His hobbies okay. are killing people and satanic rituals. And painting. <laughs> Goals. Okay. Kill the Naps and take their house. Succeeded. Kill Ray Peterson. Failed. Crimes, murder, mutilation, obstruction of justice, destruction of evidence, and implied cannibalism. I like that. And can you guys tell me what type of villain Werner Klopjek is? It's two words. Serial killer. Going old school. <laughs> like it. going to say mysterious murderer. Uh, he's a satanic murderer. Oh, okay. Well, half points for murderer. So is he actually satanic? That wasn't just their fantasy? Uh, You know, you, you make a good point. I don't remember them actually ever firmly establishing that they are satanic. That was just kind of what they assumed through dreams. <laughs> yeah. Not like they have like a bunch of pentagrams everywhere. I don't know. I don't know. Good question. We should probably revise this uh, this page. 
<laughs> I always think about that. We, 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 we're always doing these villains wiki segments, and I'm like, I should, like, why not? Why don't I just go and revise this and fix it? I just watched the movie. But it's like, eh. Yeah. It's, it's more charming this way. It's more endearing if <laughs> it's gone wrong. People want to be able to look up the Villains Wiki and see what you saw. Yeah. I don't want to take away that magic for them. No. It's too important. Yeah. All right. So next episode, we're we doing Green Mile or are we doing... Dead Man Walking on the Green Mile. We're doing Green Mile. I think so. That we're we're just going chronologically. All right. I know. I know you wanted to kind of make it a Thanksgiving movie because it could be like a long movie. You could just settle in. I do like watching a long movie on Thanksgiving, but we. I guess we got. Wouldn't save it need that to like come for... out on Thanksgiving week though? Or I don't know. It, I guess it depends on our release schedule. Um, but you'll see uh, some some Tom Hanks movie after this one. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll just like we'll, we'll ditch it and we'll just do the Money Pit and Dragnet and you know some other stuff that people don't want to watch or hear about. That's <laughs> <laughs> what we're here for. Uh, it's a great Buck Howard, maybe. Oh God, yeah. There's uh, you know. There's lots of stuff there if we want to do Hanksgiving again next year. <laughs> we could. We love we love that Tom Hanks. I kind of want to. I'm kind of in, I'm kind of intrigued by these movies no one talks about. Yeah. Like The Man with One Red Shoe. <laughs> great um, title. Yeah. So, if you want to hear us talk yeah. about other movies that no one ever talks about, you can head on over to mildlypleased.com or check out Mildly Please in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And, uh, yeah, as we said, we'll be coming back at you with more Tom Hanks uh, this month. And uh, Hanks for listening. I do Tom Hanks impression, Colin. Ah, I'm Tom Hanks! <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs>